from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Michael Bauer, Libertarian Bruno Barron, Conservative Judith Sherwin, and Liberal Peter Hanna. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to send me a tweet, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. If you want to join us on the World Wide Web, also you can go to beyondthebeltway.com. That's where you can see and hear this program every Sunday night. And also it's where you can go uh, to watch past broadcasts. We are also live on Facebook, uh, on the Bruce Dumont Beyond the Beltway Facebook page, and on YouTube tonight, Lord willing. Uh, YouTube had some problems, I guess, uh, system-wide today. So uh, YouTube was not totally up everywhere. But again, if you're watching us on YouTube tonight, congratulations, because... um, you may be the only one being able to see us that, uh, from that, that uh, vehicle tonight. Anyway, nice to have you with us. Um, so often on this program, about four or five times a year, we begin dealing with a tragedy, a shooting tragedy in the United States. This past week, it was in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Twelve people went to work. They were shot and killed by a former employee, actually a current employee who had resigned just that day. And there isn't anything that we know thus far that would be a red flag about this individual. And I want to just get everybody's reaction. We sort of have this discussion and we get to an answer and there's really nothing to say about it. But Judith Sherwin, uh, you're one of our conservatives. Uh, Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, uh, What's your your take on this case and uh, how often we have these cases? I mean, uh, thanks for asking me first. I mean, it is, of course, uh, another one of these unspeakable tragedies. I mean, it's it's just terrible. You go to work um, and you never come home again because somebody loses their job and decides they're going to take it out on a bunch of innocent people. Um, I, I, I rack my brain every time I hear about these things, trying to figure out how to prevent them. Um, you have background checking. You have a variety of laws in place to prevent this. Um, Here you apparently have a guy who was a city engineer, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, No indication that he was going to do anything like this, except I did read that within the last couple of weeks, he was buying firearms, a lot of firearms. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but perhaps this, there ought to be yeah. some sort of registry that if, if I mean you do this with drugs you can't go yeah. from one drugstore to another yeah. and buy certain kinds of drugs over and over again without ringing a bell somewhere and maybe that's something I want to get Peter Hanna's help. reaction he is our Democrat also uh, active with the ACLU Peter what's uh, your take on what happened in Virginia yeah I mean both my parents actually are, are city engineers they work for New York City my 
father recently retired, so it, you know, struck uh, extra close to home, knowing that this could happen in a you know municipality of people who are public servants, more or less. Um, you know, the statistics are they speak for themselves. We've had 148 mass shooting incidents in America in 2019 alone, 149 deaths, uh, 585 injured, uh, in addition to those 149 deaths. 2018, we're, we're right on track to meet or surpass those numbers. 323 incidents, 387 deaths, 1,274 wounded. Um, you know, you, we can't just keep sending our thoughts and prayers in the direction of these people who've had their lives devastated. Um, you know, there are certainly laws in place, but I think when you have this uh, occurring in the United States and in pretty much no other country that we consider a peer country, um, you have to take a look at your laws and perhaps eliminate some of the loopholes. And Usually... Usually in a case like this, we're looking at, the, at, at mental health situations. But in this case, this guy resigned. He wasn't fired. He was not a disciplinary problem. He had his, 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 his boss had basically said he was a pretty very good employee. Never a problem. Bruno, uh, how, do you, how do you find someone like, talk about a needle in a haystack. You don't, and you can't. And you can't, you can't find everyone, and you're not going to. And you can do all kinds of things that do nothing, like banning bump stocks or banning this little thing or that little thing. Um, I'm, I'm not a Second Amendment absolutist, but I am a Second Amendment supporter. I'm always going to be. Um, I think that there is a place for reasonable regulation. But here's the, here's the kicker. Whether it's a function of guns or people or a combination of both those things, um, this is going to continue happening in the United States because of the kind of country we are. And the left and the right are going to have to ask themselves to, and they're going to have to tell themselves the truth. The only way you're going to drop these numbers uh, to wherever the rest of the world is, and I think that some of these mass shooting statistics need to be questioned, the, the ones, some of the stuff that Peter just mentioned, but whatever the situation is, it's worse here in America than it is other places. The only way you're going to stop that is outright confiscation or leave things the way they are. Those are the only two options. Michael Bauer, you know, another Democrat. Know, actually, I got to partly agree with you. Um, I think uh, certainly one of the things that came out of this killing in Virginia Beach is the notion that this killer was using a silencer on one of his weapons. Mm -hmm. Now, silencers are legal in all 50 states for reasons that befuddled me totally. Why does someone need to have a silencer on a weapon? For what reason whatsoever? But going beyond that, I actually think at some point, we as a country will realize the Heller decision was absolutely wrongly decided. It will go into the garbage uh, pail with Korematsu, with Dred Scott, with uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, Roe v. Wade. with Bowers, Bowers versus Hardwick. And, and at some point, we will outlaw private possession of uh, weapons. Of all weapons. I want, to, I want to find out, for those uh, gun owners listening and watching the program this evening, I wish you would respond to the question uh, that, that Michael asked, and that is, what's so special about silencers? Why do you need to have silencers? In the, in this, in the case of Virginia Beach, the story that's been told thus far is that the first victim was shot in her car, right. and he used a silencer, right. and that was within earshot of the police department, right. and the police department <laughs> didn't even recognize it. And also the, the first couple of people, I think, inside uh, were shot with a silencer. And again, in Virginia, um, 
getting a silencer is not an easy thing. You, it's more difficult than getting your uh, your 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 weapons card. Let me have one so more. So it wasn't thing. an easy thing. Let me have one more thing, Bruce. We are a society. We are a society in the United States right now that is literally committing suicide on a weekly basis through all these mass killings. And we have to decide at some point: Are we willing to live with this as a price of being an American, or are we going to take significant action, not for reasonable gun control? but for strict gun control and outlaw private possession. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're going to come back, Judy. We do have to break. Uh, those are fighting wars. We may get some calls. I have some so. <laughs> 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Your calls and more conversation when we roll on from Chicago. I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for ten dollars or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes, and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. So we have Colin listening to the broadcast. He's calling from Amarillo, Texas. He's listening to us on uh, POTUS Channel 124. Colin, you uh, have identified uh, yourself as someone who has silencers. Uh, tell, them, uh, tell us a little bit about them and why are they needed? Uh, the primary reason why anybody needs anything like that, uh, the same reason Rosa Parks wanted to sit in front of the bus. It's my right to do so because I can. Uh, other than that, technical reasons, hearing is a big issue. I can take my children out shooting with that and not have to work hard. Hearing protection, simply eye protection. It's a great reliever to not be able to have to wear cumbersome hearing protection. Uh, second thing is bone conduction. When you fire a firearm, the actual sound reverberates through your bones and still causes hearing damage. So a suppressor is one of the only things that can stop that bone conduction issue. So and so explain, ex- explain to us, if you will, uh, your, your point is that you like to go out shooting, and if you shoot right. without a silencer, I'm hearing you say that it could cause physical damage to you. Is that correct? Uh, that Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know... Most firearms, you're not going to shoot them very much. You have hearing protection of multiple different levels and stuff. So for momentary, just small range trips, it's not going to cause much of an issue, even with just regular shooting and stuff. Well, so, but, 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 but let me ask you, because you're obviously, you're, you're, uh, you have guns, you believe in the Second Amendment. 
What's your answer to the question that we discussed here this evening? Is there anything that can be done to greatly reduce the number of mass shootings in the United States? And, th and this one, by the way, may be one of the most difficult to, to track because it doesn't have a lot of the obvious fingerprints on it. So what's, what's your answer yeah. to this? So, so the most simple solution, the ones we care about the most are schools, right? Places need better access controls. Where I live is the largest inland petro petrochemical refinery. And if I start walking around in there, somebody's going to ask who I am, what I'm doing here. I understand this guy worked there. He's not going to get questions, but these weirdos, right, like Parkland and Southern Springs and stuff like that, or the schools, these are like Adam, whatever it was in, in uh, Connecticut. If there's one point of entry and some access controls with volunteers even standing there and check bags, I think it'll reduce this stuff and preserve everybody's rights. Bruno, do you think that's would have much impact? Um, I, it was really interesting here. Is that first of all, I'm, as I've said on the air, and I've said it when we were uh, in the break, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I think uh, a population has a right to a person has a right to self-defense, and I'm always going to think that. But I will say that uh, I've, I've seen the pro 2A guys say stuff like um, I've heard them say stuff like. Uh, you know, anything that the government has, I should have a right to as well. It's like, well, do you have a right to a howitzer? Do you have a right to a, a 10 warhead MIRV uh, if, you can, uh, uh, if you can afford it? And the answer is no. And it, it's not just a Rosa Parks issue. I think the problem, and every time this comes up and every time it comes Alex, up on your show, legal. I keep on trying to tell people the problem is that you have every, everyone in America has become an extremist. It's like, I want to, just like Rosa Parks gets to sit in the bus, I have a right to a silencer. The question is, Maybe you should maybe you should have to ask for a, some kind of a questionnaire about why you need a silencer. Maybe there should be some kind of a health reason. I'm I'm not trying there to is. ban silent silencers, and I'm not Go trying ahead. to ban guns. What's the answer, Colin? There is. You have to you have to wait six months to twelve months and extend a background check with fingerprints. Okay. Yeah, that's a good thing. That, that are done by the FBI. It's the yeah. most stringent process next to a, a Q security clearance that I also yeah. have. Yeah. I no, that's, 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 I still have to do that. Yeah. Check to the that's that's what the uh, that's what the report out of uh, Virginia Beach was. That the, the the silencer issue. It sounds like a good idea, but the point is, Virginia already has in place pretty strict rules, as mm -hmm. Colin mm -hmm. is referencing that yeah. they have in Texas. We're going to move on, Colin. Thanks very much. We're going to go from hey, Amarillo. We're going to go. We're going to go to another caller. We're going to go to Don. He's in Dripping Spring, Texas. And he's listening to us on KLBJ. Don, where is hey Dripping Spring, Texas? It's uh, southbound towards Fredericksburg, Johnson City. Okay. Very, very pretty place, beautiful hill country. You were the first person from Dripping Spring, Texas, ever to be on this mm -hmm. program. Go ahead with your comment. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to say that uh, most people... When they think of a silencer, they think of the cartoon version of a silencer that they see on uh, in the movie. Right. That is not in reality. That is not reality at all. Uh, at most, they typically reduce the report by about 50%, enough to get the down below the hearing damage uh, threshold. But with a gun like a 45 even silencer. People definitely would have heard that, and they definitely would have known what that was. Now, I don't think the silencer is uh, 
any kind of factor or issue in this meeting at all. Well, Peter, yeah, I, I just want to uh, agree with Don and um, and just kind of say that this really isn't about silencers. It's not about bump stocks. It's about mass shootings. You know, the right. fact that he killed the first person with a silencer, maybe it bought him a few more seconds of time. But if he has, you know, an AR-15 and a bump stock and he's armed to the teeth like some of the other mass shooters we've seen, he didn't need a silencer. Um, you know, he maybe bought himself a few more seconds of time. Mm -hmm. And the real question is, how can we get people who I think, as Bruno rightly pointed out, are becoming more and more polarized and extreme on either side to agree about reasonable controls that reduce the frequency of these tragedies? And that's a really tough question. Judy. So, I mean, the question is always for me, what is going to be a reasonable control? I, I do not think that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Heller. Um, me neither. I, I really don't. But I think they may revisit it with some um, more creative ways. Nuance. Nuance, okay, which they do a lot. They don't like to overrule themselves. Um, I mean, we're not talking about abortion yet, but I, I don't think they're ever going to overturn Roe versus Wade, but we'll get to that later, I hope. But the Heller decision is... is um, I mean, a lot of people thought it was wrongly decided, that it was much too broad, uh, that it was, you know, it, it didn't make sense when you were reading the English of what it Explain actually says. Explain what the decision meant to those that are listening that are not lawyers. Okay, so so the Second Amendment says, and I'm, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it says that uh, you have a right to bear arms in an organized militia. It doesn't say you have a right to bear arms in your house. Now, if you're going to bear arms in an organized militia, presumably you're going to have to have a gun somewhere so you can go to the organized militia with your gun. Uh, and the court said that um, it, was, it was basically all right for American citizens to own guns uh, and that they were not limited to only being able to use them in an organized militia. They would be able to use them for self-defense. Mm -hmm. So... Given the the level of crime, given people who live live in places that are not in an urban area, that are not near police departments, that are out in the middle of nowhere, a lot of those people want to have guns because they think they need them for their protection. A lot of people who live in urban areas think they need guns for their protection. Quite frankly, I'm horrified by the idea that there are plenty of people walking around with a concealed carry permit these days. Right. I have no idea who they are. I have no idea if they're going to pull them out because they perceive some kind of threat and they're going to start shooting. But people go through courses to prevent them from taking irrational mm -hmm. steps with something like that. The and there point, haven't been many instances no, there haven't. where a concealed carry individual has done something wrong or that's correct. They have because, stopped some crime. Absolutely, because they go through stringent. Um, my brother actually um, uh, went through one of those courses, and they go through some very stringent training of when to pull the gun, how to pull the gun, what to do about it, and. Bruno, and you're, you're uh, nodding your head as Judy speaking. Yeah, uh, well, I, I agree with Judy. I, I'll I'll take it one step further. Again, I'm I, I'm happy to be the pro Second Amendment guy, although I'd be happy to listen to any. Uh, idea that would prevent the or help prevent these things but prior to this shooting we, there were three attempted shootings in the last month and a half or so all of which were immediately stopped by right. 
unarmed victims standing up to the shooter. Two of them in, 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 were, were killed, one of them was not, but they literally sacrificed themselves and saved tens of lives. If, you know, I, I don't remember every instance, but clearly tens of lives, uh, the three incidents. And, and I think there's a, you know, there, look, there's something wrong with the culture and there's something wrong with the fact that people just feel like they have to do this. And the mass shootings are only part of the issue. We also talked about the, the, the shootings that just went on here in Chicago uh, just over the last 48 hours. Um, we have a very violent culture and a, we have a gun culture. And I would say that it, you know, the problem I have with all of this stuff is that the minute one of these things happen, the first thing they say is, well, let's take away the gun rights of 200 million or 150 million gun owners who haven't violated a single law and have done everything that they're supposed to do to own their, their gun. Why should that be the first answer we go to? Because I deserve to be safe. You are safe. I, I'm not safe. I'm not safe walking on the streets. I'm not safe going to the grocery store. I'm not safe in the city of Chicago. I'm not safe in the state of Illinois. And I'm not safe in the United States. But, but and we know, keep having mass God, shootings, God, and not just God, mass God, shootings. God. We have God, tens of thousands God. of people who are killed every God. year as a result of gun violence. But it's not, you're not safe in Chicago. John, we've got to, we've got to pause. Uh, thank you for your call. We've got to move on. Our callers, let me also tell our, our guests in studio, we've got to break as well. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to be changing gears. We're going to be talking about Robert Mueller, uh, Bill Barr, and also the idea of tariffs on Mexican imports. What do you think of that idea? I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont uh, back in Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Uh, before we go too much further, uh, let me mention, I mentioned at the beginning of each broadcast, beyondthebeltway.com. Beyondthebeltway.com is where you can find this program, whether you're looking for the audio, the radio version of the show, the television version of the show, or the internet version of the show. It's all there at beyondthebeltway.com. And I mention that also because uh, if you're a regular listener to this program on uh, 35 plus uh, radio stations, uh, we want you to continue obviously to listen on that radio station each and every Sunday night. But again, every once in a while, uh, decisions are made by radio stations and uh, the shows go off the air. And this show, sometimes this program pops up as something new and sometimes uh, you may be listening to it for years and suddenly it's not there. And uh, there is one example. Uh, uh, those who used to listen to this program on KBOI in Boise, Idaho, great affiliate. Uh, a lot of people out there in that area. It's a 
huge, huge, beautiful part of the country. Well, again, uh, they will no longer be carrying this program. So if you used to listen on KBOI in Boise, Idaho, you can still find us at beyondthebeltway.com. So if on a Sunday night you tune in uh, to this radio station and we're not there, you can still find us at beyondthebeltway.com. But again, if you're listening to us on an AM station or if you're listening to us on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel 124, uh, go there first because we appreciate uh, the support of affiliates as well as Satellite Radio. Uh, Bruno Barrett is here. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself and uh, why he joins us tonight. Uh, well, I'm on the air tonight because you invited me, and thank you, Bruce. It's always a pleasure to come on the air here. Uh, I've been a longtime guest. I am a, a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute where I uh, generally discuss education issues, but I'm also relatively well-versed in all things political. used to have a radio show, so I can go from policy wonk, fluent policy wonk, to fluent radio host uh, <laughs> ranter in uh, 30 seconds mm -hmm. or less. And we also welcome for the third uh, visit of the last couple of months, Judith Sherwin. Judith? Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, this is uh, very enjoyable to come on here. It's the quickest two hours of my life every time I come on. Um, I am uh, a, um, a member of the law firm of uh, Retzel and Andrus in Chicago. I practice law in Chicago. And that's new. You just that made That is switch, new, right? yes, as of May 1st. And uh, I just, uh, I also uh, am an adjunct professor at Loyola University where I teach in the law school courses in the First Amendment, not the Second Amendment, hmm. although we do mention it from time to time. Uh, I also teach uh, business ethics and um, compliance in the uh, online master's degree program. Okay. And on the left side of our table this evening, we have uh, Peter Hanna, who's been uh, a regular on this program for about a year, a little over a year now, right? Yeah, that's right. And good um, to have you back. Thank you. Always good to be here. Always good to be uh, with the guests and, and have some really uh, thoughtful conversation about the difficult topics that... Uh, I guess many families are talking about across the country, but um, as Bruce said, my name is Peter Hanna. I'm an attorney and an adjunct professor of law at uh, Chicago Kent School of Law, where I teach privacy and cybersecurity law. Um, I practice in areas that cover both civil rights, constitutional law, and obviously privacy and technology, and um, it's always really a great pleasure to be here. And Michael Bauer, who's also been a regular on this show for the last maybe three or four years. Exactly. Always good to and be back. And actually was, a, was a, a guest in the inauguration of the That's studio. That's right, just a couple of weeks ago. Just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my name is Michael Bauer. I'm involved in a number of civic and political activities. Uh, among them, uh, the two most prominent recently is I am co-chair of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. And most recently, from a political perspective, I was the chair of a campaign that received uh, national attention. There was a mayoral race in Chicago. I was the chair of Lori Lightfoot's successful campaign to be mayor. Congratulations. Congratulations. Early on. Yeah. Early on. You were early on the train. You I, were in the, you were in the I first. I was there before she you announced. Were the, you were there. <laughs> I, I kept saying she's going to be the next mayor. And people thought I was, uh, they wanted to take my uh, guns away from me. They thought I was <laughs> And uh, in addition, on a very personal note, I'm fighting for the second time in two months uh, a form of cancer called advanced uh, cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, which normally is a skin cancer, but for me, for the second time in two months, it has penetrated my skin. This time it's gone into my bones, my, uh, uh, some of my uh, ribs on my left side, on my right side, on my chest, and my uh, pel right pelvis, and in my legs. And I am on an immunotherapy drug, 
the first patient of Northwestern Memorial to be on this immunotherapy drug. It's brand new to the marketplace. And I am very optimistic that I will continue to be a guest on this show for years to come. We, we certainly hope that. And you, uh, you beat it before, so you can beat it again. I plan to. And, and, and I think, uh, Thank you, uh, again, your Facebook friends certainly know that story. You've uh, yes. told it to, uh, to a number of uh, close friends. Yes. Uh, but again, I think it's important since uh, you're part of the Beyond the Beltway family. There's a lot of people out there yep. who either had similar uh, situations or you can be an inspiration to them. So uh, thank you for being with us thank tonight. You. Let's get back to something that I know at least four people want to talk about, and that is Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller, the, the report came out. The attorney general had summarized the report. Nobody liked the summary, or very few people liked the summary. And, and for some reason, Robert Mueller, he decided, I've got to speak to the public and the news media. Oh, I'm not going to take any questions, and I'm going to put this in uh, perspective. Peter Hanna, uh, some people have interpreted what he did last week as presenting to Congress uh, almost on a platter an invitation to move to impeachment. Do you see it that way? You know, I think um, people have seen in uh, Bob Mueller's, you know, press conference, not press conference, um, what they've taken what they want from it. And some people have seen that this is you know, just kind of a public announcement that Congress, it's in your court now, and others have thought this is another vindication of, of the president. Um, you know, I, I, to me, if you actually read the Mueller report, uh, particularly the second volume, um, I think it's very clear that some of the, the findings of that report uh, leave Congress with a clear path to, towards impeachment should they choose to go that route. But I think Democratic Party leadership um, right now is not convinced. I think the last poll I saw, and I think it was a CNN poll, um, said that it had risen to about 40% of Americans support impeachment. Um, you know, the election year being obviously, you know, next year, and the election campaigns ramping up. You know, I think it's a, it's a decision party leadership has to make. But in my mind, you know, this president has committed a number of acts that would, in any normal world, in any normal time, rise to the level of warranting at least an impeachment inquiry. Judy Sherwin, uh why do you think Robert Mueller did what he did last week? Well, I, I think that uh, there's a couple of reasons. I think the clearest one is that the report itself, when you read the report, when you read part two, um, was his initial invitation to the Congress to um, start impeachment proceedings, and it didn't seem to go the way he wanted it to. Um, there's a lot of noise about impeachment, but it, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, if you will. And I think that for whatever reason, um, and, and maybe there's been some speculation that he decided to make this, this announcement of his resignation, which really didn't need a press conference. I mean, right. your job is over, you're finished, yeah. you're resigning from the Justice Department. Thank you very much, Mr. Mueller. Now go back to your private life and leave us all alone. But no, he had to come out there and give this speech. And I think the reason he did it is I think we're going to find out somewhere down the road that he made a deal that if he does this, he doesn't have to testify either in private or in public with the Congress. Um, and, and I don't think that deal would have been made with the Senate. I think it probably was made in some way with the House. So I believe he did it because he wanted to, for anybody who wasn't listening or reading the report, he wanted to come out more clearly and say, 
come on, guys, you really need to impeach this president. I can't do it, um, so you have to do it. Bruno Barron, what's your, what's your take on it? Um, you've, you've not I, been, for those that do not know, I mean, in, in your visits on this program, you have not been a big cheerleader for Donald Trump. I've, I've been a Trump skeptic from the day he announced, and I'm still a bit of a Trump skeptic, uh, although I'm also a skeptic of all things left of center these days, given their behavior. Um, so I, I look at this, and what I think is fascinating about this is that it would be wonderful if you could find some non-polarized, non-ideological people, perhaps who speak English but come from another planet, who could look at all of this uh, truly objectively, and I'm not even saying I'm very objective on it, um, truly objectively and, and see what's going on. But, the, you know, let's put it this way. Everything could be possible from Trump having been colluded with Russia to Trump having never colluded and the Obama administration creating an operation to go against a political opponent, which there's plenty of evidence, or there, let's put it this way, there's plenty of smoke on both sides for everybody to pot, to look at those facts and say, oh, well, you could it could go that way. So right now... So you like the idea that William Barr is looking into the predicate for this I, I absolutely like the fact that William Barr is looking into it. And I think one of the things that's interesting about Mueller's testimony is that he didn't go after Barr. He didn't say Barr lied. He has not thrown Barr under the bus like all the Democrats are trying to do right now, probably because he knows that that's not... that. that that that's a political ploy. Impeachment is a, and I keep on trying to remind this people, it, impeachment is a political act. It right. is not a legal act. It is not a legal process. And what I think that the FBI has tried to do and the special uh, uh, counsel has tried to do is they are trying to create the environment for an impeachment out of a very, very specious set of facts that was developed uh, through this Russia collusion thing. And I've also called Mueller and I've called Comey and a lot of the bra top brass at the FBI a bunch of ass-covering apparatchiks. I think that's what they're doing here, and they're just trying to create a predicate for someone to say, hey, it's up to you. You, you take this forward or you don't. Uh, Michael, uh, we're going to a break. I want to give you a full opportunity to react to that, and we will do that when we roll on. 1-800-723-8029. What's your reaction? What was, the, what was the purpose in your mind of Robert Mueller doing what he did last week? Give us a call. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Michael Bauer, uh, you did not get a chance to offer your assessment of what Robert Mueller was up to in his address to the nation last week. Well, I, I, th I think Pluto's right. When we talk about impeachment, 
impeachment is a political process, ultimately. And uh, in saying it's a political process, the Democratic leadership in the House has to sit there and decide, number one, do they want to go through the process of voting articles of impeachment where they know it'll never be, uh, that the president will never be convicted of impeachment by the Senate? That it's a, a, a fool's errand in essence. Right. And, and, and number two, they also have to give thought to whether between the Appalachians and the Rocky Mountains, do many Democrats really care about, about the Mueller report and uh, what, no. may, what may have happened with Russia in no. 2016? Or are they concerned more importantly about the economy, about jobs, about tariffs, about things that affect the day-to-day pocketbooks? Yeah, I want to ask you to follow up on that. Is the president making a big mistake by not aggressively articulating and acknowledging that Russia did try to put their finger on the scale in 2016? And should he be more aggressive in announcing plans? And Nick Mulvaney was on today saying that the administration has been working on plans to provide security mm-hmm. and voting security. Right. Should, the, should those words come out of the president's mouth, first of all, to shut up the Democrats, and second of all, isn't that a responsibility of the president to say to the voters, even his voters, hey, listen, we want this to be, we, we want to we win re-election on the, on the up and up. Right. Judy. I, I think, let's, let's think about Donald Trump's personality, all right, for a moment. Do we have um, to? <laughs> no, we have to. And particularly we may have to with spend respect, the entire night doing this. <laughs> no, but particularly with respect to that question. He's, he says, I won this fair and square. Nobody put this, their finger on the scale for me. The Russians didn't make me president, as Donna Brazil apparently said on, on Fox News today. Um, I won this with, with hard work, with sweat, you know, with, with going to five campaign stops every day, uh, with, with spending my money more wisely than Hillary Clinton yes. did. And, and, and she made a lot of mistakes. And she made a lot of mistakes. She decided not, who told her did the Russians keep her out of Wisconsin? I mean, it's, it's bizarre. So I think that he looks at this and he feels that this is a diminishing um, moment for him to say you would never be president except for the fact that the Russians made you president. That's why I think he, he, he fights this notion. But at the same time, he does have his administration working on security for the next election. He has acknowledged that, I think he has acknowledged that there was Russian interference. What he has said is, I had nothing to do with it. He has said that over and ne- over never, again. Ne- never in a very demonstrative way. But uh, here's another question I would have, Peter, is that, uh, is there anybody at this table that doesn't think the Russians are going to continue to do what they did in 2016. Of course they're going to do it. I mean, they've, well, been, then, doing it, they've been doing it since the revolution. They've been that, messing with should us. Should that be a responsibility of the president <clears throat> and Congress in a bipartisan way to do in 2020 what Barack Obama should have done in 2016? Well, Peter. Senator Warner of Virginia just came out today and said it's sort of a travesty, and he sits on the Senate um, Intelligence Committee, it's a travesty that the the Congress hasn't been able to act um, to actually establish new security measures to ensure the integrity of the, the 2020 election is at a much higher level than the 2016 election. But 
frankly, how can they when there's all this, you know, just infinite noise? Um, and, you know, frankly, I think it behooves this administration to create election uh, clouds and election roadblocks. It's the whole reason they're pursuing that, you know, I think really misguided census issue where they, you know, it's going up to the Supreme Court. They want to only have the 2020 census count citizens, despite the fact the Constitution says, you know, free per persons. Person. Um, you know, it's all part of this just chaotic but coalescent campaign to diminish the integrity but, but, of the but, election. But can't the Democrats do a better job of making a case? Instead of talking about what, you know, about Russian collusion, which the Mueller yeah. report said did not exist, the president is right about that. But the point is, why don't they, why doesn't Senator Warner, why don't they call a press conference every day or the presidential candidate? Why don't they write a bill? Call a press conference, yeah, write why a bill. Why don't write a bill? Present and, and, a and bill. And explain, and explain well, it to the American people. Uh, I mean, they, they like to complain about the problem. They don't want to do but anything But they don't want to it. solve anything. Right. There was a fantastic article this week that talked about how not only has Trump remade the GOP, but Trump has remade the Democratic right. Party. Right. And right. it laid out the things that are going on. What, what I find fascinating about this, and this goes back to your original question about why doesn't Trump say something about Russia, is that it's not in his nature and, it, and it's not in his benefit. If there's one thing that has surprised me about Trump, and I've had to eat my amount of crow saying that he shouldn't have uh, been nominated and would never win and all this other stuff that I'm on record as saying, and I'm, I was wrong about it, is that this guy is, he might be the worst policy person in the world from a lot of perspectives, left and right, but he's a political genius. I mean, it's maybe it's time, maybe it's time we step back and got that. And the, here's the fascinating thing. I will tell you how Russia tipped the balance in favor of Trump, independent of all the silly Facebook ads and the stupid stuff. It was the Wiki, Wiki, it was WikiLeaks and, and breaking the Democratic uh, emails that shifted enough votes in enough states to make Trump president. And that was a Russian op. I'm reasonably sure. I can't prove it. I don't have it written down. But that, mm -hmm. And when all of Bernie Sanders voters saw what the party did for Hillary and did to damage Bernie, Trump won 10 percent of Sanders voters. Yeah. Right. It's amazing. That's right. a lot. We've got a pause. 1-800-723-8029. Our four guests, they will be back. They've been a spectacular first hour. They'll be back for the second hour. I'm Bruce Dumont rolling on from the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for $10,000 or $25,000 grants 
aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway and those on the left side tonight. Michael Bauer is here and also Peter Hanna is here. On the right side, we have Judith Sherwin. She's an attorney. And we also have Bruno Barron, who is a libertarian. You don't like to be called a Republican. Um, I, you're a conservative. I'm a conservative libertarian right. would be the okay. best way to put it. I, I don't, I, I, I'm going to vote Republican most times just because okay. of the left. But if they had somebody who was worth voting for, I would look at them. But yeah, mostly. Last <laughs> night uh, in San Francisco at the Democratic State Convention, uh, John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado, uh, he gave, he was asked to address the crowd. And during his discussion, he made a comment that he didn't believe that socialism, if you're looking to, for socialism as your be-all to end-all to solve problems, uh, that that's not a good idea for the party. And he was significantly booed uh, at that particular point. And I'm wondering, is that um, was that a profile in courage, or was that just a, a cheap way to get some coverage, Michael? Because um, you, you sort know, of I, agree I, with him, I, right? Well, first of all, I agree with him. I will also tell you, John Delaney, who's running for president, yes. former congressman from Maryland, stood up today at the convention and said, I just want to tell you that socialized medicine is just not a practical solution. And of course, the same thing happened to him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the bit I saw on CNN was just him being constantly booed for several minutes and not letting him get a chance to speak. Uh, 
I, I think this is still a capitalist country. And, and I think as much as we need to figure out how to expand health care coverage to people who don't have it, uh, the fact is that uh, I think many of us who are Democrats would not align ourselves as socialists. Peter, is that, uh, should Democrats be worried about that word? I think they should be worried about the use of the word um, and the interpretation of the word by folks who associate it with things that it you know, doesn't necessarily mean. I think you can take you know, all four of us and put us in a room, and I think all four of us would say every American should receive you know, access to good health care, regardless of how much they make, regardless of you know, what they do. Um, it's just what is the path to getting there? Capitalism as a sort of you know, structure for society is, has worked. We already have a lot of you know, socialized services in this country. Um, it's used as a smear by the right. It's used as kind of a you know, cure-all by the left. Uh, the reality is we just need you know, to have a smarter healthcare system, and that might require greater socialization of services, you know, like Obamacare and you know, an improved solution. Um, it may require more sort of equitable uh, structures in society, but I think you know you're you're at a rally. You you hear someone say something, crowds boo. There, that's not how policy gets made. But is it? Was John Hickenlooper a profile in courage in that he was trying to explain to a very left of center state convention, if you folks want to knock off Donald Trump in 2020, I'm giving you a suggestion. Don't make this your raison d'etre, because mm -hmm. it's not going to work. It's not going to work in, you know, Wisconsin and Indiana and Michigan and Ohio and, and Pennsylvania. It ain't going to work. And I mean, yet, here's a guy, in his view, as Delaney today, and maybe there were others that did the same thing, they're trying to basically save the party, and they're well, being treated I, this I, 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 I would, I would say, I'm not sure they're trying to save the party. I think they're trying to define the lane in yes. which they're running. All right, and I think by his comments, Governor Hickenlooper and uh, former Congressman Delady are trying to uh, compete in the same lane. Yeah, okay, I, well, I, okay. so but, Judith, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I really do think they are trying to save the party because the party has just fallen off the left end of the world. I mean, it reminds me very much of what was going on, and I approved of it in those days, as Bruce knows, when when uh, George McGovern ran for president. I mean. <laughs> It's the, the, the Democratic Party just took a flying leap off the left end right. of the spectrum, and they got decimated. Now, you know, I, I think that both of these gentlemen are, are very prescient in their comments. If you're going to win, you've got to have some realistic American solutions to the American problems right. that we have. Socialism is not viewed by those people between the Appalachians and the Rockies as a real solution to anything. What solutions did, did Donald Trump offer? Well, the solution that he offered is let's increase the economy, let's get everybody working, let's have a lot more money in the Treasury, okay? I mean, they lowered the taxes and they raised more money in tax, in, in tax income uh, than they have in a long time. So his idea, you know, is, is an economic one. Though, you, well, we'll talk about the tariffs. I mean, the tariffs are, that's, that's a, 
obviously much more complicated. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, but yeah. jobs, that's not very complicated. Um, it, first of all, I think the problem that the Democrats uh, are running into is that the you know, Hickenlooper and Delaney are trying to define a lane. The lane may no longer exist in that party. Now, it might still exist. We don't know. I think is it the Biden lane? Uh, well, the Biden, you know, of course. Look what look what be. Biden's doing. What's the first yeah. thing? So Biden's running this non-campaign, which is a very good idea for him because he's he's got the Trump benefit in his party this time. Is he's he's like the one centrist guy from the Obama administration, and he can just let the progressive clown show move on, and he's just going to win by default as long as he doesn't make any mistakes. Of course, then today. What does he say? He comes in and says, I'm going to make LGBTQ, G, whatever, the number one priority in my administration. Well, that may, that may get you the applause lines at the convention, and it might make a bunch of people happy, but that's not, what, that's not what's going to win the election for the Democrats. I mean, if I would make the case that one of the reasons, not there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons Trump is president is because of this insane, filthy identity politics that the left has been playing for way too long. And the, 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 as far as socialism and all this other stuff is concerned, what's interesting is that I just put a Facebook post up today. The words capitalism, socialism, racism, and um, oh, what was the other one? Uh, sexism or uh, communism. Fascism. All these, all these fascism. That was it. These words have become meaningless. When everyone's about, a racist, nobody's about, a racist. What about anti-Semitism? Is anti-Semitism well, because the, the the Democrats in in at their convention they were they were debating that issue as well. Well, as to I mean, if not you go back, if you go back to the convention uh, where Hillary Clinton was nominated um, during resolutions uh, in support of the state of Israel, you had people booing, uh, booing uh, negatively, and not wanting to adopt those resolutions. The the anti-Semitism and the anti-Israel thread, unfortunately, have become married in the Democratic Party and have become, um, you know, de rigueur. I mean, how in the world can you have two people like this, this Talib person and, and the other, Omar, how can you have these people not be drummed out of the Democratic Party? You can't tell because, me that the lane Judy, is big they, enough for those they people were, they were in the Democratic but, no, Party. Wait, they were elected. They are elected representatives of people that live in Michigan and people that live in Minnesota and, so, and may represent people listening around the country I, who they, you know, they, they don't want to have their representative have to basically, you know, kill their, their opinion because... Some other people don't like it. Well, I want to get everybody's reaction, okay. including Peter and, and well, get our a, Democrats. we got to pause. Okay. We're back shortly, 1-800-723-8289. Hi, I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for ten dollars or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes 
and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, before the break, Judy was making some points about what she thinks is, is widespread anti-Semitism uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in the Democratic Party. Specifically, you were talking about two representatives that you think uh, are, are beyond the pale, and I was making the point that they do represent their constituents, and you know their constituents, they're not, again, we'll see whether they get a primary challenge and whether they lose their election. But Peter, I want to get you, you, you let you weigh in on sure. this broader issue of of anti-Semitism and and whether or not the National Party is treating uh, these two representatives and I put you know uh, Alexandria uh, Cortez in there as well, Casio uh, Cortez, put her in there as well. There's three some three Musketeers. Are they treating them with kid gloves? And could that blow up in the party in the future? So I mean, I. But- to start with, I think anti-Semitism has no place anywhere, Congress or, or elsewhere. Um, I think it's a very, it's a very obviously sensitive issue. Has no place. I think the problem in both those cases is they want to or are attempting to speak out about you know the relationship with Israel, and they're doing so in a way that I think gives rise to a lot of these, uh, and some of their words have been poorly chosen. They're doing so with anti-Semitic tropes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that argument can be made. I think as far as the party goes, I don't think they're being treated with kid gloves, but I do think that there's risk, obviously, in, um, you know, having members of your party speak in a way that could be accused of that. Now, on the other side, you have Trump and lots of Republicans saying things that are just wildly racist. And, you know, why aren't we talking about how the Republican leadership and, you know, Mitch McConnell um, aren't moving to censure those folks? Can, can well, you, can, I'd, like to hear, I'd like to hear I mean, an example. Um, and I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm not saying no. there aren't people on the right that are. Steve King is the, the, the best example. And yeah. he's been yeah. he's been And Steve King was stripped of his. He was stripped of his committee and, appointments. He was, he came down on him like a ton of bricks. I don't see anybody coming down on these people, uh, Omar and, and You can't Talib. compare Steve King and, and, you and those can't? folks. Uh, no, Why? Not, because, because you don't like what he said, but you, no, you I think, think he's, that, you know, I, well, we gotta, we got to be a little bit more tolerant of these people because they're women, Steve, because they're Muslim, because they're whatever. No, you can't tolerate this. It doesn't matter whose if, mouth if it you, comes if, out of. If you compare, you know, dollar for dollar, pound for pound, what Steve King has said and has done and who he's, in, who he's endorsed and how he's stood with white supremacists, I think there's really no comparison whatsoever. That being said, I'm not the arbiter of, you know, of, of these issues. And all I'll say for the Democrats is that's an internal party issue and they have the right, of First Amendment right as private citizens and certainly as elected representatives to speak their mind about these policy issues. Michael Bauer, is the Democratic Party doing enough to rein in these representatives and should they be reining in well first of i all, mean if if there are members of congress who believe that uh u.s foreign policy has been too pro-israel should those people have a right to say it of course they should have a right to say it now let let let, let me try to frame the issue as i see it we have we have the issue of anti-semitism and we have the issue of anti-Zionism or anti-Israel. And unfortunately, the two issues have melded together over Mm -hmm. the last 10, 15 years. Uh, And you have people complaining that Israel is an apartheid state. But when Bashar al-Assad 
kills 600,000 of his countrymen. No one ever complains about his actions. Mm -hmm. When Aung San Suu Kyi is the president of a country that drives 700,000 uh, uh, persons from their homeland because of who they are, uh, no one complains about uh, her or taking away her Nobel Peace Prize. But, but anti-Semitism is an age-old epidemic, yeah. mm -hmm. and it keeps popping up periodically. And unfortunately, fortunately for the last 60 years or so, in the aftermath of the Holocaust, it was very uh, latent, and now it's very vibrant again, anti-Semitism. So now we have a problem, from my perspective, in the Democratic Party. Let's try to understand what the problem is. We have some backbenchers, there are backbenchers, mm -hmm. Ilhan Omar, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, who are all not only speaking out against Israel, they're all making anti-Semitic comments. And the difficulty is, what is the party to do about this? Now, am I happy with what the party is doing? And they have become media darlings as well, yes. especially Representative Cortez. Yes, well, they're all media darlings, Yes, right. all three of them. And I'm not sure what the Democratic Party should be doing right now. I will tell you, I'm not interested in comparing what the Democratic Party is doing to the Republican Party. I'm a Democrat, and I want to make sure that the Democratic Party stays strongly uh, against anti-Semitism. And we're in a fight for the soul, from my perspective, of the Democratic Party, Absolutely. to make sure the Democratic Party in the next five, seven, ten years doesn't become the equivalent of Jeremy Corbyn's Labor Party. Absolutely. Bruno. And, well, and to be very fair, um, and I, I don't, you know, first of all, I'm, I don't think Trump is a racist. I think the stuff that Stephen King says, yeah, he deserved to get drummed out. And uh, I've had I've had people put Facebook post stuff up on my Facebook page and comments on something where I've, I've either had to delete the post or I've told them, it's like, don't put that stuff up here anymore. And I'm requesting that you take it down personally so mm -hmm. I don't have to take it down. Um, clearly, when you get this populism rising up on both sides of the aisle, you're going to get the stuff that comes with populism, some of which is very, very rank with, you know, let's put it, let's just put it mm -hmm. this way, lowbrow thinking. And um, it, it's up to all of us in both of our respective parties to stand up against that stuff anywhere and anytime we see it and not Historically, it. do they all bubble up at the same time? I don't, well, I, I mean, is anti-Semitism and, 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 and a new right perspective or, or a, a Nazi perspective, is that, are, do they each need each other? Um, well, they, I, think they, I think they feed folks? off of each other, but if you're looking at, if you look at what's going on, like this, these recent EU elections, the EU, I mean, the EU parliament, you know, this whole thing like, oh, Trump is something outside of the pale. You've got Brexit, you've got Trump, you've got Austria, you've got Australia, you've got the the Probably populist the populism is on the rise and I would I make the case and people can debate this with me, I think that the triumphalism from the social the social liberal perspective after the the, um, the Obergefell decision, the triumphalism of the socially liberal left and the stuff coming out of the universities with the far, far left postmodern uh, gender this, gender that, identity politics nonsense, I think it created I think they're creating a monster on the right. It created and then, Donald Trump. And, and the monster that they're creating on the right is now fomenting a little bit of a monster on the left. And I, like I said, I'd love to see this country 
tamp that stuff down and come back to the center and try and figure out a way to solve some of our problems with health care and deficits. But I don't see that happening. Judy, the President of the United States is on his way to London. Are you worried about to say there absolutely not you know <laughs> what i'm worried about is how they're going to cover it i mean um i i turned on I, I i unfortunately occasionally um go swimming in the twitter cesspool to see what's going on in the yeah. world so i i opened it up the other day and i saw something about trump called Meghan markle nasty you know, you're going to London. Why would you do that, right? So I read what he said, and I even looked at a video of what he said, and he really didn't call her nasty. He 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 was informed that she said some things about him during the campaign, that she was going to move to Canada. And he said, well, okay. So she ended up moving to Great Britain, and he said something like, uh, I didn't know she was nasty, which is not calling her yeah, nasty yeah. and that gets reported as trump calls Meghan markle nasty well that's not what he said and he was kind of pulled into that i sometimes wish that but he's he offered had, his opinion on who the prime minister should be before, well he before says, he lands. i have I, yeah i mean look i've often thought that he should develop something like a third ear you know, where he listens to what he says and he doesn't no. say some of that stuff. No, I don't think but so. But that's yeah. also part of his charm for a lot of people, and, and I get that too. One other thing, let's talk about this because there are some people, uh, at least maybe 62 million people might say that this is part of his charm and, and the rest of the country probably is just, uh, you know, pulling Appalled. their hair out. <laughs> and, and, and that's the decision that he's made on, on tariffs uh, involving Mexico. He believes that Mexico has not been as aggressive as he would like them to be in helping to root out the illegal immigrants that are coming into the United States but have gone through Mexico from Guatemala and, and South America, Central America rather. So he basically has come up with the idea, I'm going to impose a tariff starting, I think, next week, 5 mm percent. -hmm. Uh, Escalating. And it's going to escalate. It's going to go from 5 to 10 all the way up until October 1st. It will be up to 25%. He's going to have a tariff on all goods manufactured in Mexico. Now, again, the Washington intelligentsia, they went crazy with this idea. But is, is this a horrible idea or not? If you want to get the attention of the Mexican government, which uh, is this the way to do it? Apparently, it did. Right. So the last thing right. I saw, and I don't, you know, again, you can never, you always have to take a step back, and you have to wait for three or four headlines before you believe anything the headlines put out these days, pro or anti-Trump, doesn't really matter, or you know. But apparently, it did work because they're now the the, the Mexican president said, well, okay, let's let's figure something out, let's talk, and I'm I'm pro free trade, I don't like tariffs. And I'm pro-immigration in terms of legal immigration that I think America should take in more people. I'm not pro-illegal immigration, and I'm not, and I, but the, the fact is that if access to our markets for our wealthy people to buy all of this world's stuff, if Trump wants to make access to our markets part of what he considers a pro-American policy, I am again one of those people that's been chastised, and he's doing this better than anyone else has. I want to get everybody's reaction to it, and I also want to say that you know, in the, when I first heard it, I said, you know what? This guy is trying to figure out a way to have the Mexican government pay for the wall. 
somewhere. He's He's not forgotten. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back uh, beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for being with us. We were talking about uh, the president's idea for uh, tariffs on, on Mexican goods. And he wants to start at 5%, go up to maybe 25%. And because he wants to get the attention, he is saying that Mexico is not doing enough. And I certainly would agree that they're not doing enough. Uh, They're better than they were a year ago, but they're not doing enough to stop people that are coming into their country. He wants to beef up their southern border. And again, uh, if you you make it into Mexico, uh, you should be able to have asylum there. Because it's the first country that you set your your foot in, uh, that uh, at least according to the, uh, the, the 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 you know world policy on this matter, that that's where you should be. And he wants to stop this caravan. And again, I think uh, he he was extremely upset. And again, if you saw uh, some of the video that was on some of the Sunday morning shows today uh, last week in an area uh, near El Paso and and uh, and Tijuana, there were a thousand immigrants stopped at one point they were all going through one area down there a thousand people and they were all picked up by the border patrol that's never happened before that amount of people and yet the numbers keep coming and coming and coming and the president is throwing up his hands and says you know the judges are slapping his hand all the time and he wants to get this done so my question to you peter what what do you think of this the concept and is there any other way that the president could get the attention of the Mexican president other than this rather bold and uh, maybe ham-handed way of doing it? Well, you know, the tariffs on Mexican goods are ultimately going to affect Americans who buy Mexican goods, Mexican manufactured goods, which include cars and a ton of other things that are imported here. So this tariff may look like it's going to hurt Mexico. Ultimately, it's going to hurt most average Americans, you know, most. As for, uh, you know, why are folks trying to come to America? Because America is the land of opportunity. Um, I don't condone illegal immigration, um, but I think we should have a robust, you know, immigration policy, immigration system. We should have more immigration judges. We should be processing asylum claims much more quickly. Um, so I, I don't think there's a lot that Mexico can do for, you know, for a thousand folks who have no desire to stay in Mexico. They want to go the next step and build a life in America. Um, so, I mean, I think ultimately, I think as Bruno said, this has caught the government of Mexico's attention. I think they're sending a delegation to D.C. to talk through stuff. Right. Um, but ultimately, I think it is ham-handed. And I think this might be one of the few things that might cause the market to take, uh, you know, the type of dip that, you know, 
I don't know, pu punishes Trump. But is, but is one of the things the president thinking about, Michael Bauer, and that is, you know, whenever there's a war, there's supposed to be some sacrifice. And if there's a trade <laughs> war, someone's got to pay more. I believe that the president believes that within his 62 million people who voted for him, and maybe even more in the, in the broader uh, population, that there are people that would be willing to pay a little bit more if it meant that we controlled our borders and we stopped sure. mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. right. tens of thousands right. of people right. coming into this country, that they'd be willing to pay the extra right. 5 or $10 a month or a week or whatever it is, right. whether they're buying a car or they're buying avocados. Do you believe that? You know, I, I, I don't know whether that's true or not. What I, what I know for a fact is that this administration has been in office for two and a half years. Well, two and a half years is a fairly lengthy period of time for this administration to propose some sort of comprehensive immigration plan that incorporates many of the issues that Peter mentioned. Uh, how do we deal with illegal immigration versus how do we deal with asylum seekers? Uh, don't you think he's been doing that in he's the last couple it. of months? No, he's I, been I don't. Doing it. He's no, been doing it I don't since think he's set foot in office. I don't think he's been doing it at all. Not at all. He, de he needs to have a plan. That he said, by the way, he had a Republican Senate and a Republican House for his first two years as president. Right. And, and nothing was ever negotiated or proposed or passed right. by the Republican House or Republican You're Senate. absolutely right about that. I mean, I mean I wanna, at what point, I wanna, I wanna, at what point are we going to do something? I want to I ask our Republican, then I'm going to come back to you, Peter. I want to ask the Republicans the question that I, that I just posed to, to Michael. Do you think the average person, let's say the, 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 the person that voted for Donald Trump, that thinks he walks on water, do they have to dig a little bit deeper in their pockets with the knowledge that if they do that, they're... they're Illegal immigration in this country is going to stop, or at least they're not, the people from Guatemala are not coming in by the hordes. And if they have to pay $20 extra a month or $180 a year, they would be willing to do it because that's their sacrifice. That's the price of being a good American. Is that something, and again, I don't just mean the farmers that you know that they're going to get a big bailout from government mm -hmm. i'm talking about the small voters 62 million of them would they pay extra money i'd love to hear if we got callers on the line that would say that your trump supporters would you pay extra if you knew that basically i'll, I'll, I'll put the paraphrase in if you're sticking it to mexico for not uh, doing enough well first Bruno. of all i think um the answer most of those people would say is yes and i think Every look, everyone puts up with some tax increase, and everyone gets mad about a tax increase that's a little bit too much. So if the price of a car goes from fifteen thousand dollars to fifteen thousand five hundred, um, as your finance guy will tell you, that's only pennies a day, um, which is of course nonsense, but it's still pennies a day. Um, but if if the price goes from fifteen thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars, then people are going to say, well, no, I'm not willing to pay that. And I just wanted to bring this up quickly. I, I think. I don't know all the machinations that went on back in uh, in the last two years uh, when Trump had a Republican House, but I do think that Paul Ryan deserves a great deal of blame for literally doing, I mean, literally doing absolutely nothing and not even trying to do anything. It was almost like, well, I don't like this guy any more than anybody else does, 
and kind of like just sat on his hands and wanted to get something done, but wanted to get almost nothing done. And then yeah. the other part of it too is if you that, made if you made a list of the people that that stood in the, in in the in the way of Donald Trump, I'd put Paul Ryan at the front of that list. Absolutely. Well, and more and, so more than any Democrat. And and probably he's the one person that got away with it. With that, you know, like I'm going. He said, "I'm resigning." And then I'm going to do nothing because he knew that he probably wouldn't have been able to run for re-election or anything. And you know, if you don't if you don't like Trump, you don't like his policies. Maybe you're happy that Paul Ryan did that. But still, we got to take a call. Let's go to John, listening to us in Colorado. No, uh, we're not ready for him. Judy, you had a comment. No, I I mean I absolutely blame Paul Ryan for all of this, for the failure for health care, for the failure for an immigration plan. I mean, the president has since the day he came into office tried to deal with immigration issues. He's been slapped by the court every time he tries. He's won in the Supreme Court on, on what was referred to as the travel ban. He, he will probably win on a number of these other issues, but these things take time to get up to the court. And in the meantime, we have this catastrophe going on at the southern border. And he's trying to do anything to stop it. Is so, this tariff plan with Mexico the best idea you've heard so far? I think it's a pretty good idea because it, it, even though the, the, the Mexican president delivered himself of an opinion that everybody has a right to come and live in America anytime they feel like it, he did say, after he thought about it a little bit, well, maybe we ought to think about this and I'd really like to talk to you about it. So I think they will try to do more. To, to protect their own southern border, to keep those people from coming in there and then just going straight through Mexico. Are you optimistic about us. that, Peter? Do you think, no. Do you uh, think this threat could work? Um, it could be effective in the short term in some ways, and it could bring folks to, the, you know, to D.C. to have a discussion. But what um, people are, don't see right now is this will affect effectively a higher tax hike than Clinton in 1993. Um, and that was something that was hugely problematic for Clinton 93. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, we'll see. Maybe maybe the appetite, the pain point for Trump supporters is So there will be more thought. taxes. Uh, but, but what about on the tariffs? I'm saying the tariffs said, will ultimately translate effectively to a tax hike that hits people and probably affects certainly average Americans much more than wealthy Americans than the Clinton tax increase in 93. Is, is that a story that can be told in a campaign. You, you've talked earlier about what a brilliant marketer Donald Trump is. Not I mean, me, but uh, I, I admit that he has okay. some ability. That was me. Okay, well, my question is, I would never use the word brilliant okay. or any synonym okay. with Donald Trump. I Michael, is, yeah, is, is there a way to tell the story that Peter just said to remind the American voter that they're paying more for something? Even if they like Donald Trump, they're paying more for it, and that's the cost of supporting Donald Trump and his policies vis-a-vis -vis Mexico. I think if we go all the way through, uh, through uh, the fall, and we have a 25% tariff on products imported from Mexico, uh, I think that has an extremely negative impact on the stock market. Absolutely. And I think it has an extremely negative impact on, uh, on a significant amount of Donald Trump's base. Yeah. Let's go to Roger in uh, Austin, Texas, <clears throat> listening to us on KLBJ. Uh, you want to weigh in on... Uh, whether you'd pay more, right, Roger? Good, yes, sir. Good evening. Go ahead. Uh, I, I voted for Trump expecting him to put tariffs on the Chinese, and Chinese goods and imported goods would go up. 
because we have so many jobs that are going out of this country. They destroyed Romney for this when he ran for president. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's going to have to take a little short-term pain to get that long-term gain. I think Democrats are fixated on all of this impeachment and trying to get Trump. And they're in total denial of the issue at the border. And all of these people coming into our country are demanding services. And we're in deep in debt. Right. Our key entitlements well, are going the, yeah, the, to bankruptcy. The, the presidential and, candidates know, don't, don't like to talk about it because they don't have an answer for it. And I think in their political heart, they know that probably Trump is right. Thanks for your call. We're going to move on. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. I don't. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Let's go to Colorado where John is listening to us on Sirius XM Satellite Channel 124. Go ahead. Whereabouts in Colorado are you from? Hello, are you there? Hey, I'm here. I'm Go ahead. Here. Go ahead, John. I'm, okay, I'm from Salina, Colorado. Am I, am I on now? Are you asking me? Or is this somebody taking the call? You're being. You're <laughs> on the air, coast to coast, border to border. Great. There's Great. hundreds the point, of people listening to you. <laughs> Go ahead. The, the, the point I was. The point I was trying to make. I'm 36, so I'm barely a millennial. <clears throat> but um. But I've noticed that it seems like most of the experts that work in the fields like I work in, I'm an attorney and a campaign manager, they seem to dismiss the progressive wing very quickly. And what I like to remind people is that basically we are not in the 90s anymore. Like other strategists, I don't understand this. Everybody treats it like there's still this huge swath of moderates in the middle yeah. that everybody's fighting for. We are in the age of polarization now. The key is to excite and turn out your base. And the base that's hard to turn out for Democrats is young people. Young people like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, everybody thought that they were going to run for Beto. They didn't. They're for the progressives. And if we want to if we want to be victorious, I don't think moving to the center is the answer. And when you look at the well, last thing I'll say, when you look at the few research information recently, young voters outturned out boomers in 2018 for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think we really need to look at that. We have a mixed economy. We're not a capitalistic economy. We have a mixed economy, and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are not advocating the elimination of the private market. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're a campaign manager. Are you, are you actively involved in a campaign right now? I'm actually really busy with my company right now, but I was Congressman Steve Cohen's campaign manager in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was also 
uh, the deputy director for state senate races in Colorado in 2014. Okay. You're, you're calling from Colorado. G give us, I'm going to ask you to put your political uh, analytical hat on, if you can, and, and be objective to our national audience. Uh, Colorado is, they've got two people in the, in the hunt for the Democratic nomination. They're the former governor, John Hickenlooper, who we referenced earlier, and, and Senator uh, Michael Bennett. Uh, what can you tell us about either of those people from a Colorado perspective? I think Hickenlooper and Bennett are both very moderate. I think that Colorado has traditionally been a purple state, but I think it's going more and more blue each year. Uh, if you look at who won the caucus in 2016, it was Bernie Sanders, and he won by a good amount. Um, also, Bennett, I mean, I have, I have friends that are personal friends with him, so I don't mean to attack him here, but he voted against the Canadian drug bill, which is something that would have greatly lowered prescription drug costs in America. Uh, it was a weird moment where you had 13 Democrats voting the wrong way and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul voting the way that I would want them to vote. Mm -hmm. as, you, as you look at the field and as, as you uh, look, obviously you're, you're politically astute given your, your pedigree that you talk about, but are you happy with the way the Democratic National Committee is handling uh, the preparation for the debates, the criteria for the debates? Are you pleased with that as a Democrat? I actually, I'm, I'm probably in the minority on this, but I am actually pretty pleased with it. I don't think we need 24 people on stage. That doesn't really allow anybody to figure out who's due. Uh, it's not enough time. I mean, they just don't, if they're going to run the debate for six hours, maybe it'd be okay. Um, I think I think they're using good criteria. I like that they weakened superdelegates. I think the DNC did at least learn something from 2016. <laughs> um, and I'm actually, I'm a, just, just so it's known, I'm a Warren supporter, even though I do like Sanders still. Mm -hmm. But um, but I, I think I think they're handling the debate well. I think you have two where everybody gets a chance, and then after that, you you need to you need to be able to step up your game by then. But again, uh, you think I mean obviously you have to have two percent uh, in in national polls for national polls. And by the way, those debates are coming up at the end of this month, the twenty sixth and the twenty seventh, and you have to have sixty five thousand, I believe, in individual financial supporters. Uh, and you have to have 20% uh, of it has to come from 20 states. Mm -hmm. It can't just be large states. Right. Right. Yeah, are these good ideas, Peter? I mean, yeah, is, I mean, uh, is this I, about as fair as you can be? Uh, yeah, and I, first I want to thank John and encourage him to call back again, you know, uh, anytime, obviously, because it's um, he, he's involved and he understands it. And I agree with everything he said. I think the criteria makes sense because right now, if you put the folks, all the folks up on stage, it's just noise, it'll be meaningless. So we do have to set some sort of bar to narrow it so that these debates can be meaningful and impactful uh, when they occur and help inform people's uh, voting decisions. Michael, are you pleased with what the party is doing? I am pleased. I, th I think uh, taking away some of the power of the superdelegates is, is, uh, makes it a more democratic with a small d mm. system. I think the uh, notion of having 15 or 20 people on a stage mm -hmm. uh, during a debate is frankly nonsensical because no one will hear anything that anyone says. Right. So there's got to be a, a, some sort of way to winnow down the field. Do you think 2% is too low to be in a debate? Should it be higher? Well, I think it's higher for the fall. Oh, well, it is higher for the yeah. fall, yeah. right. Yeah. But again, for what's coming up in, in, in June. Uh, Bruno? Well, I want to address something that, uh, that John said, see if, uh, what he thinks about this. So I, you know, I'm on the other side of the aisle. Um, I'm looking at 
what he, I mean, what he said about you have to be progressive because you have to get out your base. And I think that he's absolutely right about that. I think that the, you know, we, we saw that with Rove and Bush in, in uh, 2000, and it's been only getting worse or uh, I would say less and less stable. But it, it is true. So the question is, can you go too far? Can you can you go so far off the thing that you'll get out your base, but you're also driving out your opponent's base? Okay. John, listen, thanks very much for calling. Good to hear from uh, Colorado tonight. Our thanks to our Thank guests you. this evening, our Democrats. They have been Michael Bauer and also Peter Hanna from Kent College of Law. Judy Sherwin has been a Republican along with Bruno Barron. Judy is from uh, uh, Loyola University. And again, we thank you very much all for being with us this evening. Uh, again, uh, next week, we'll, we'll be back again with another two hours of scintillating conversation. And again, remember, beyondthebeltway.com, write it down, because if we're ever not here on a Sunday night and you're expecting us, you can always go there and find out what happened. To our friends in Boise, Idaho, we say thank you very much for being with us for the last five years. <laughs> Hope you'll find us in the future. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we received word that our school had been selected to receive a $25,000 grant from the America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Program, sponsored by the Monsanto Fund, a philanthropic arm of Bayer. The grant is designed to help further science, technology, engineering, and math education. We used it to upgrade the technology in our classrooms to enhance health science curriculums and better prepare our students for various career paths. Now through April 1st, farmers can nominate a school district to apply for $10,000 or $25,000 grants aimed at improving STEM education. I would encourage all eligible farmers to nominate today for a chance to make a lasting impact in countless classrooms. The process takes less than five minutes and farmers can nominate their school district by visiting americasfarmers.com. That's americasfarmers.com. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. 
Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322.